about uh, having a lot of these bricks on the stage and trying to build it, and then I would have to clean them up afterwards, so I only have one. Um, but when we think of, of these bricks as, as he was building that wall, um, I want you to think about this three-letter word called sin. And as we think about that, we're really going to focus in on that word sin here this morning. And if you think about all of the different bricks that you have in your life, that wall that you have built um, in your life that has caused you to stop from being able to get to the cross, to stop you from coming to church, from knowing who Jesus is, we all have these bricks in our lives. And they have names. And I want you to think about one in particular this morning, one sin that has really had its grip on you, that is keeping you from the cross of Christ. And what is that one? And I know you say, well, I've got like five. I've got ten. Well, I've got more. We all do. But this morning, I want you to think about that one, that stronghold sin that is keeping you from knowing who Christ is. How many of you know what a euphemism is? It comes from the Greek, um, and it means good speech. It has the idea of substituting a pleasant word for something not so pleasant. So today, we, we don't say, well, I was fired from my job. We say something like, well, I have a career change opportunity. I, I mean, that sounds so much better, right? And, and you don't go to a used car lot anymore, do you? No, what is it? It is pre-owned. And it is, it is certified pre-owned. Because that sounds so much better than, well, I'm going to the used car lot. And we do that with, with so many things. And unfortunately, in our society, our society has just become quite adept of replacing words. Especially the word for sin. We don't like to use that word at all. And we have softer expressions like saying, well, um, I, I make mistakes. Well, well, I, I have struggles. Well, I had an accident. Well, there was a lapse in judgment or errors in my judgment. Instead of just saying, I've sinned, it's easier just to say, well, I've slipped. Because we don't like to use that three-letter word to say sin. Here, here's some common sin synonyms um, or other ways to say ugly words. Well, I um, stretched the truth. That is a euphemism for what? Yeah, for lying. Living together or hooking up. Hebrews 3, 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in, in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We say, well, I had an affair instead of saying, I committed adultery. Um, well, I, uh, um, New Year's Eve, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I drank a little too much. Instead of saying I, I was drunk. Um, sharing some news. How many of you like to share news? Gossip, yeah, <laughs> it's gossip. Um, and, and, there, and there's so many more of those. And, and, and it's easy to criticize our society. But let's be honest, it, we can think about society and we can think about the world and everything that's outside of those doors. And, and, and it's easy to criticize them, but 
then we start looking inward. And we look at this room and you don't hear many sermons that are preached on sin. That are on the devil. That are on hell. We don't talk about those kind of things. We don't have songs that really bring too many of those ideas up anymore, do we? We don't have books that are written on on how to deal with sin in our lives. But we we read books on how to have the best life now and, and many other things. So if you're thinking about this morning, falling asleep, or, well, this is going to be one of those sermons that steps on my toes, I'm going to keep you awake. You can start keeping count, because I'll probably say the word sin over a hundred times, and now you have to go back to what I've already counted. You can't start now, okay? Um, But the word sin is going to be used probably close to a hundred times. Now, I've already had people count during the first service, so we'll see how if anybody is actually paying attention to how many times I say it during this message. But more than 40 years ago, uh, psychiatrist uh, Mark Minger wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. He pointed out that our society has rejected the concept of sin and no longer talks about it. He made the argument that simply removing the word sin from our collective vocabularies would not make it disappear. Like any good doctor, he prescribed a solution to the problem of vanishing sin when he called pastors to this. He said, pastors, preach. Tell it like it is. Say it from the pulpit. Cry it from the housetops. You see, when we don't call sin what it is, we short-circuit the need for forgiveness and thus the necessity for the blood of Jesus Christ and paying for our sins you see jesus didn't come to to make sure that my mistakes all go away jesus didn't come so i could live my best life now jesus came because i couldn't pay the penalty for my rancid nasty vile sin and because of that he came and he gave his life for me I was separated from a holy God. And he is the one that was able to bridge that gap. I read a very sad story this week as I was preparing for the message. Um, some of you have, may have heard of um, an author, uh, a former pastor. His name uh, is Rob Bell. And uh, Rob Bell has written many books. Um, and he had a very large church at one time. Um, but I read this article, and this was from a few years ago, but it said that he believes that the evangelical church is moments away from embracing gay marriage. And then, in an interview with Oprah, and again, I I just kind of found all this stuff. I don't go reading a lot of his stuff, because whenever I read it, it causes me to sin, Because I get very angry with some of the things that I read that he has. Um, But this is what he said uh, in an interview with Oprah back in 2015. He says, I think culture is already there. And the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. 
You see, the problem with that understanding is what we know of the Bible. And when we read the Bible, we know that it is true yesterday, today, and forever. And when we read the Bible, it speaks still to this day. Because we can read something that Peter wrote to a church 2,000 years ago. And we're going to get there. First Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. But it's still going to speak to us today. We have the book of James who speaks to us today. Every time you read it, every time I read the book of James, I learn something new. And it's relevant to my life. But we have so many people that they don't want to just read the words of Jesus. They want to read the interpretation of someone else of the words of Jesus. Instead of seeing exactly what the Bible says. And reading it for what it is. And that's so important that we make sure that we understand that. Listen, simply restating the problem of sin by by giving it a soft edge. it, It doesn't make it go away. Instead of putting a spin on sin... Let's look at what we read from 2,000 years ago in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. When we read 1 Peter chapter 4, our topic today is going to be letting go and letting God. And, and, And when we think about being able to let go of something, again, I want you to go back to your brick. I want you to think of your sin, that that one thing that has a stronghold on you. What's that one? And again, I know we probably have more than one. What's the big one right now that you're dealing with that you need to give over to God? It has a grip on you, and you need to let it go and give it over to God. What is that disobedience that is just running through your mind right now? Let's call it sin, and let's deal with it. In order to do that, we're not going to sugarcoat like Peter doesn't sugarcoat. And we're going to look at the, the main idea here, verses 1 through 6. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness. Do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. That's a mouthful. It's a lot. And this is kind of a difficult scripture. So we're going to take time, the rest of our time, and we're going we're to break down what Peter is saying. I have two main points for us to look at this morning. First, we're going to find out how to arm ourselves against sin. And then secondly, we're going to find out how to abstain from that sin. So the first thing that I want us to do is to find a way to arm yourself against sin. Look at the very first part of verse 1. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. This word, therefore, takes us back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And where we read there, Christ also suffered once for sins. That's very important for us to understand. 
Because of what Christ did on the cross, we are now dead to sin. And we need to live like it. The problem is, is that sin is still around us constantly. Even though we have died with Christ, when we have given our lives over to Him, we still live in this world. And there is sin all around us. And let's just be honest, we've talked about this in the past. If we look at a lot of the sin that's out there, it's fun, right? If we're honest with ourselves, sin is fun. We enjoy sinning. No, we don't, Travis. We're Christians and we don't... Come on now. We don't like the consequences of sin. And that's what it really gets down to. And we need to find a way because in this life we have been called out of it. We have been called away from it, not to enjoy it, not to, to get into it. And, and, and here again, let me make sure that I make this very clear. Having fun is not sin. We can have a lot of fun in this life and not fall into the trap of sin. And that's very important for us to be able to understand. The problem is, again, that we still sin in practice. The middle part of verse 1 is an exhortation. He says, arm yourselves with the, the same way of thinking. Brothers and sisters, friends, I want you to understand that we are at war. We're not at war with Iran. We're not at war with North Korea. Yeah, we are, maybe, I don't know. But I'm talking about sin. We're at war with wickedness. We're at war spiritually against the principalities and those things that come at us we are in a spiritual battle and we need to understand that you see un unfortunately many believers see themselves on a playground not a battlefield how many of you remember um, the old hymn onward christian soldiers yeah, no kids raise their hands make sure we understand that they're like what's a hymn yeah it was a book we would open in church and we would sing out of it there's a lot of good songs that now i don't want any emails that's right travis we should go back no we're not going back to hymnals i'm just saying there's some good ones in there there's a lot of good hymns in there and, and they and and this is one of those songs that i really think about what this is one of the hymnals when i think about this you see onward christian soldiers it calls us not to the crusades but to crusade against our own sins. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master lead us against the foe. Forward into battle. See his banners go. We need to see ourselves not on the playground of just having a bunch of fun in this life. And having our best life now. But we are on a battlefield and we need to wage war against sin. And I'm not talking about others. And I'm not talking about those that are living outside of these doors. I'm talking about right here, right now, in our own lives. We need, uh, yes, we need to talk about those other things. But here's the thing. We need to wage war right now in our own lives. Because there's a lot of sins that we're struggling with. And there's a lot of sins that, well, they're, they're, they're acceptable sins, right? There's a lot of those out there. No, they're not. <laughs> not in God's eyes. Sin is sin. And we need to always...
come back and remember that. Friends, sin is our enemy. And it would do us well if we would etch on our minds Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is waiting to attack. It's right there. It's pleasure. It's good. It's loving. Oh, there it is. All I need to do is cross over because the grass is greener on the other side. No, it's not. Sin is waiting, crouching, and it will destroy you. And we're called to arm ourselves with the same mind that Christ has against sin. Now, this word for arm refers to heavy, not light armor. Now, remember where Peter was at. Peter was living in the Roman Empire, and he would have seen those Roman soldiers walking around him all the time. And they didn't have just some little leather vest on. They they didn't have just some minor armor. They were armed to the, they they were ready to go into battle at any time because they never knew when it might come at them. And they were prepared. And this is talking about having that heavy armor, the javelin, the large shield ready to go. And when he says this, he says, arm yourselves. And it's in the, the, the imperative errorist form, which means to always be arming ourselves, always be prepared. You know, I wonder, I watch some of the old, uh, the, or some of the movies that show back in the day, like, like Troy. I, I love the movie Troy and, and, and others. But you see them constantly wearing their armor. And you see Romans, um, if you watch the, the soldiers in some of those movies, they're always wearing their armor. And I'm like, did they just sleep in it? Did they get up and immediately put it on? You know, how, how did that work? But they were always armed ready to go into battle. And as Christians, we need to constantly be aware that sin is around us. And would you notice where this battle takes place? In our minds. This battle takes place in our minds. It's won or lost in our minds. You see, sin is destructive and deceptive. And we need to be vigilant and diligent it takes us back to first peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 13 or 1 uh, 13 it says therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober peter picks this up if we go ahead to chapter 5 verse 8 he says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour he's crouching at your door And he's roaring like a lion, letting you know that he's always there. Some of us, some of you are way too sleepy right now. You stopped counting, right? No, seriously. We're way too sleepy about sin. We are very dismissive when it comes to our disobedience. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group, Uh, It it was called Temptations in America's Favorite Sins. This is what we read. Most Americans who admit to being tempted aren't putting up a big fight. The study found that 59% of Americans say that they don't do anything to avoid temptation and half can't explain why they've given in to temptation. 
I don't know. I just kind of did it because it felt good. Too often that's what happens. We can't give an explanation of why we've done what we've done. We were watching a show. Teresa and I were watching a show and, and there was this woman that continued to come on to this man. And he would get up and he would move away, but stayed in the same room. And then she would come at him again and he would get up and he would move again into the same room. And she's like, are men really that stupid? Why doesn't he just get up and walk out of the room? And for her, it was very simple. Get away from what is temptation. But in the movie, what was happening was... He wanted it, but he didn't want it. And he was, he was fighting that battle in his mind. And eventually he succumbed and, and gave into it. And we need to make sure that we are constantly being prepared for that barrage. And here's the thing. What comes at Matt isn't going to be what comes at Tony. And what comes at Erica isn't going to be what comes at Lindsay. And what comes at Karen isn't going to be what comes at Jewel. What we have to understand is that Satan is very good. He's been around a while. He understands how to get to you. And he's going to find that way to get in. And that's why we need to be constantly prepared. Because we look around and we're like, they gave in to that sin, I would never do that. Yeah, but what is it right now that is your weakness? What is that stronghold right now that you know that Christ is getting through in? Here's a great verse to memorize. It's, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, the more I, I grow as a Christian, the more I just hate sin. I hate what I see it doing to my life. And I hate seeing it, what it does to your life. Sin destroys. And I want to let you know that I'm a sinful pastor. Pastoring a sinful people. And I hate what it does to our lives. Because it can truly destroy us. Psalm 19, verse 13 says this. It says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And this one was shared with me. I, I had this verse in, and, and I have somebody that goes over my, my, my uh, PowerPoints that you see behind you um, that, to make sure that they're correct and not messed up and I didn't put the wrong verse or you know, spell things wrong or whatever. And uh, the, this person was going through it, and she says, hey, have you read the message version of this? And I said, no, I, I hadn't looked at that one. This is what it says. So the ESV says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. This is what the paraphrase, this is what the message says. So in today's modern language, we would say, keep me from stupid sins. That's what the message says. And how honest is that? Keep me from stupid sins. In the last part of verse 1, we're called back to the example of Christ. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The word cease means to make an end of it. Jesus is now done with sin. 
He's done with sin because he defeated it. In a similar way, we are to cease from sin because we have died to it. Romans 6, 11 through 12 says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So the first thing we're called to do is to arm ourselves. But secondly, we're called to abstain from sin. Abstain from sin. Look at verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Here's your choice in a nutshell. We can live for lust, or we can live for the Lord. We can live for lust, or we can live for the Lord. The the contrast is extremely clear. We either live for the will of God, or we live for the will of the world. Christ followers, listen, Christ followers don't do what we used to do. Christ followers don't do what we used to do. That's the whole meaning of repentance. It means that when you give your life over to Christ, we are called to repent, which means to turn around and go the other way. It's when you're going down the road and you realize that you've missed your exit and you see in the median there's a turnaround and it says, Only for authorized vehicles, right? Well, here's the thing. Jesus has authorized you. Don't use that to a cop if you do it in real life. (laughs) Well, my pastor said Jesus authorizes me to go through here. No, no. Figuratively, Jesus has authorized you to make that U-turn and you can go the other way. You can go the opposite way of your sin. Now, does that mean that we're going to be sinless? No. Some of you are sitting here going, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't know what he's talking about from that stage, but I'm never coming back to this church because I'm not good. If that was the case, none of us would be here next Sunday. As I said, I'm a, I'm a sinful pastor, pastoring a sinful church. We all make mistakes, but we have been called to repent of them. We have been called to put them in the past and turn and go the other way. That's what we've been called to do. So how do we abstain from this? Let's camp on this phrase for just a second. Rest of the time. So as to live for the rest of the time. What's that mean? Well, it talks about the brevity of life. We're not promised tomorrow. Life is short. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, we're not called to count our days, but we're called to make our days count. I saw this on Facebook uh, last night. I was scrolling through it, and, and somebody had put on there, um, the average lifespan of the American is 78 years. The average age of retirement is 67 years. Meaning that you're only going to get 11 years of retirement to enjoy yourself. And the whole purpose of that was don't wait until you're 67, um, but start retiring now. Meaning living your life now. Live your life today. And it reminds me that, you know, one person has left us in this church and she has started her retirement at, what, 72? You shouldn't have left me, okay? So, 
<laughs> you cannot use that brick. It's up here. It's dirty. You wouldn't touch it. Um, no. So in case you're not, in case you're like, what's he talking about? Lorraine is officially retired. Um, yes. Y'all can clap for her. I'm not. Um, so it's, it, she, so Kim Rice was one of her elders. I got sidetracked. I followed a squirrel for a second. Um, Kim Rice was one of our elders um, when I was first hired, and he brought me on, and he said, so we're going to go pick up Lorraine, and um, you may think that you're going to run the office being the senior pastor. You won't. Um, Our administrative assistant, her name is Lorraine, and she is the leader of the staff, and she was, and honestly, she had been for the last 18 years of this church, Um, and we're starting a new uh, we're starting to, to break Kristen in a little bit. She had her first day on Thursday, and it went really good. We were nice to her. Um, but uh, well, we're excited about where we go in the future of this church. But the, back to the sermon. Um, you know, we don't get that much time on this earth. And we think about the brevity of life. And we think about the hourglass that I have here that Lindsay has allowed me to borrow. And... Uh, you know, we think about how fast this sand goes through, and maybe I'll end before this is finished, and I won't, but you can think so. Um, but as that sand drops, it's just time in our life that's going away. The brevity of life truly shows for us. And, and as I was writing this, and I was thinking about this, and the hourglass, and all of this, I was reminded back to one of my grandmother's favorite shows uh, during the middle of the day. It was one of her um, soap operas. It's like the sands through the hourglass. Still, too many men are saying that, and that just scares me. Oh, man. First service, like, it was all men. It was really scary. Um what are you guys doing at work? Um, yeah. So anyways, teasing there. But the brevity of life, it's like sand through the days of our lives. And have you ever noticed when, when you talk about the brevity of life and you, you talk about the way we kind of waste our younger days, you take a, a four-year-old and you say, so how old are you? And they'll say, I'm four and a half. And they're excited, right? They're like, I'm four and three quarters. I, I'm almost five. You never hear a, a, a man who says, I'm 42 and a half. <laughs> nope. And don't ever ask a woman how old she is. That's a whole other story there. But you'll never hear me say, I'm 42 and a half. I will be 42 until September the 3rd at 1159. I will still be 40. I won't be 42 and a half or 42 and three quarters. I will be 42 until I'm 43. But our granddaughter right now, she, she's, she's 19 months. Well, she's a year old. No, she's 19 months because we, we travel it in a different way, the way that we look at it. But too often, we just kind of waste away our younger years. How do we, how do we kind of bring all of this together? It, it's the way that I see Peter bringing it together. He talks about the past, the present, and the future. So let's talk about keeping the past in the past. Verse 3 establishes that we have spent plenty of time sinning. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. 
this means like a closed chapter of a book. Some of us are filled with a lot of regret in the past. Wasted years of our lives. Too many of us hold that regret because we've upset one of our parents. We've had a fight with our brother or sister or one of our best friends and and we no longer talk to them. Or there's a sin in your life that you just constantly dwell on. And here's what I want you to know. This is what Peter wants you to know. Put your past in the past and leave it there. So important for us to understand. Peter next spells out six specific sins that we're called to abstain from. Now, some of you last week, um, I heard, you know, we, we didn't have children's church and we didn't have the preschool program. And so we had the kids in here and I heard from our preschool director, you had little ones in here, Travis. And the first thing you do at the beginning of your sermon is talk about, because I had to remind you of going back to first Peter and I, I remind you about Nero and, and what he did to the Christians and how he killed them. And he, he put them into animal skins and had his dogs eat them. And they're like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, well, Lisa, at least your kids aren't in for this part of the message. Because we have these past suffices. What exactly is Peter talking about here? Well, he lists them for us. Living in sensuality. This refers to shameless sexual excess. Insatiable desires for pleasure. Pornogra- uh, pornographic movies. Looking at, it on the web, looking at it on the web. Reading Fifty Shades of Grey or watching those movies. Peter uses this word in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 to describe the filthy conduct of the people of Sodom. Passions. Well, passion doesn't sound bad, right? Well, what Peter is talking about here is out-of-control lust. Drunkenness. This word can also be translated as debauchery, and it speaks of excessive and extravagant indulgence in long drawn out drinking it's not like oh well i had one or two last night and i'm okay no it's waking up next to the toilet going what did i do last night that's the drunkenness that peter is talking about here orgies the background for this word is when groups of drunken men would dance in the streets in honor of the greek drinking god bacchus Now we have drinking parties that's mentioned. Now this isn't just getting drunk. This is going to a party. You're drinking in excess. And then you say, hey, I bet I can drink more than you. And you sit down and you have a drinking contest to see who can drink the most. Lawless idolatry. The word lawless means abominable. Forbidden. It was used of serving idols. And Peter says, hey stay away from that stuff and you have to remember where he was writing to these weren't just small podunk towns these were large roman cities 
When Paul writes what he writes, and we're going to look at a couple of, you know, we've looked at several of his scriptures. We're going to go to Romans 13 here in just a second. But as Paul was writing to Rome, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, as he was writing to Thessalonica, as he was writing to the Ephesians in the, uh, in the town of Ephesus, these were large metropolis cities. And all of these sins were around them all the time. You know, these sins that we've talked about, it reminds us of something that's going to come up real soon, leading up to Easter. Mardi Gras. Also, Carnival. We also have part of Mardi Gras, um, there's something called Fat Tuesday. Now, Fat Tuesday, the original purpose of this was to prepare for Lent. It's a 46th day of, of fasting and, and getting yourself right with God as you lead yourself up to Easter. And it's all about devotion. But, but the problem with that is, is leading up to Lent, leading up to getting rid of those sins out of your life and, and abstaining from certain things, you had this time called Fat Tuesday where you just gorged yourself with all kinds of your desires, whether it be food or sexual um, uh, promiscuity or whatever it is you would do on that Fat Tuesday. And that would lead you up to get you ready for Lent. You'd just get it all out of your system and then you would abstain from it. For 46 days. But the flaw with carnival. The, 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 the flaw with, with Mardi Gras. Is that plunging into sin. Today. Won't make it go away tomorrow. Plunging into sin today. Won't make it go away. Tomorrow. Romans 13. 13 through 14. Calls Christians not to live for our lust, but instead, Paul says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Put your past in the past. Leave it there. Next, as we get ready to look at verse 4, we need to stay pure in the present. Stay pure in the present. When we get saved and, and stop sinning in these ways, others are not going to be very happy with us. Look at, look at verse 4. It says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. When you draw a line in the sand, when you say, hey, I have given my life over to Christ, I have been given access to make that U-turn, and I'm going the other way. I'm not going to go out drinking with you anymore. I can't continue having sex with you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pull myself away from this. There's going to be issues. And they're going to, as Peter says here, they're going to malign you. This word malign means to heaping heavy abuse on you. It's in the present tense, meaning that it will be a continual barrage. When you give your life to Christ, when you start making changes to your life, there are going to be people, family, friends, so-called friends, co-workers, who are just going to barrage you with all kinds of things. 
Stay strong. Hold your ground. Don't cave. Arm yourself against sin. Abstain from sin at all costs. Again, does this mean we're going to be perfect? No. We will fall short. We will give in to temptation. But the point, the purpose, is to do our best to live for Christ every single day. Remember that these Christians that Peter is writing to, they are being persecuted for their faith. Maybe because all of this was happening and the persecution that was coming, maybe they were thinking that this was too much. You know, if I don't say that I'm a Christ follower, maybe I won't end up as a human torch. Maybe I won't have to go through what I see others going through. Maybe I won't lose my job. Maybe I'll be able to feed my family. Maybe I won't lose my life. A lot of things probably went through their life or their minds. If I go back to my old life, it would just be easier. Everywhere they turned, they were just getting clobbered. But they held strong. We spent enough of our past lifetime living out our lusts. In the present, we won't always be appreciated for abstaining from sin. That brings us to our final point. Focus on the future. Focus on the future. Look at verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Everyone who doesn't know Christ will have to give an account to the Almighty. Judgment is coming for all of us. We will all stand before Jesus Christ. Romans 14 verse 12 says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And we're going to finish with with a a difficult verse. When we read verse 6, it seems a little bit difficult, but let me break it down for you. Peter says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the, the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Well, this is a bit difficult to understand. Peter is referring to those who were saved while living they've died our job is to go with the gospel our job is to take the message to those that are living right outside of these doors the bottom line is this Christ is coming soon now we don't know when that's going to be Christ wrote, Jesus wrote and and John wrote what Jesus said at the very end of Revelation and he made it very clear to us behold I am coming soon that was written 2,000 years ago Peter was ready and he was arming and he was telling those first century Christians to be ready and we need to do the same thing today because he is coming back and he will judge this verse is meant to encourage us Many have tried to explain away sin by using different names of it. We go 
back again to this brick that's sitting on the stage. And each one of you could come up and, and you could write your sin on this brick. Many of you probably have built a wall that's blocking that view of the cross. That's blocking the view of Jesus. It's time to tear it down. And if that is a decision that you need to make, you've been wanting to knock it down, you've been wanting to break it down, but you're not really for sure what to do. Here's what I want you to know. If you start to break it down, there's a flood of love that is waiting behind it. And with just one little crack, Jesus can block you and just ram through it. But you have to be willing to start it. Jesus isn't going to barge into your life. He's not going to come in and tell you what to do. He's waiting.